Well, good morning to you all. It's good to be back with you in Scrabble again and uh, enjoying this last day of fellowship and ministry of the Word uh, this morning and this evening. And I'll be back in the not too distant future again for another session. Look forward to that in God's will. But this morning we're looking back at John chapter 11, where we were uh, last Sunday morning. And we took the whole section and we, we looked at it really from the perspective of Mary and Martha. And what it was to feel let down by the Lord Jesus in that he delayed in his coming to, they wanted him to heal Lazarus. He had not yet died. And, uh, and of course, he waited till he was dead. And all the emotions and the thoughts and the doubts that they had in the midst of their suffering. But I want to come at this chapter a little bit differently this morning. I want to take verse 21 through to verse 26, these most famous uh, verses in this chapter that we didn't really take time last Sunday morning to deal with. And I want to look at Jesus, the resurrection and the life. So let's read um, verse 21 through to verse 26. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let us pray together and do unite with me in prayer. Pray with me now that the Lord will speak. Speak to you. Don't ask him to speak to that poor unbeliever that might have come in. Well, do, do pray about them, but pray for yourself as well. We all need to hear from God. I hope you've come to hear from him. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, and that question hangs in the air for you. Do you believe this? Maybe you've struggled with doubt and uh, some of the issues revolving around death, the afterlife and resurrection. Well, come to the Lord now. Maybe you've even lost a loved one recently, or perhaps you've been given a very bad prognosis with your own health. Let's come to the Lord. The Lord wants, I believe, to minister to people's hearts here by his Holy Spirit. So let us come and welcome him to do that in our lives, whatever our circumstances might be. Father, we thank you that we can come to you and indeed, you welcome us and want us to come to you with our burdens and with our cares and with our questions, with the inconsistencies in our hearts that we sometimes feel toward you and toward the things that happen to us in this life that we don't understand and we, we cannot make sense of. And we come to you now, Lord, the one who knows all things and not only knows everything, but has all power to meet our needs. We pray through the Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will minister to every need in this place just now. We want to see Jesus. We want to experience the one who is the resurrection and the life. In his name we pray. Amen. I believe that it is significant that this miracle of the raising of Lazarus, maybe we've just jumped into these verses and we don't know what happens around them. Well, uh, Mary and Martha had lost their brother Lazarus. 
The three were good friends of the Lord Jesus. And of course, as you read the latter end of the chapter, there's, there's a great miracle where Jesus comes to the tomb where Lazarus is lying and now uh, should be rotting after four days. Dead decomposition has set in. By this time, the body would be stinking. And he cries with the voice of omnipotence, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth like a mummy with these grave clothes around him. And Jesus uh, tells them to loose him and let him go free. What a wonderful miracle. Now, it's the last miracle John records before the cross. It's not the last miracle that Jesus did, perhaps, but it's the last one that he records in his gospel before the Lord Jesus goes to die for our sins. And arguably, it's the greatest miracle of our Lord Jesus. Now, the Jews superstitiously believed that the soul stays near a dead body and near the grave of a dead body for about three days. And there was this hope among Jews that somehow the soul would re-enter the body and the person would come to life again. Of course, it never happened, but this was their superstition. And therefore, it was accepted that up to three days, something might happen, never did, but something might happen. But certainly after four days, there was absolutely no hope of a resuscitation of a dead body. And this is what we see in verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now that is highly significant. Because inherent within that statement is hopelessness. Jesus, you have come too late. Utter hopelessness in the face of death, which, let's face it, is the way our society reacts to this morbid subject. We think of death as the great leveler. Uh, any medical folk here will know that, that once you pass that line of death and pass the opportunity of resuscitation, it's too late to do anything. There's the great horizon thus far and no further. You cannot reverse. Death is irreversible. And we know that intellectually, scientifically, but some of you have known it very personally. For you have lost loved ones. Maybe most recently. Or maybe it's something that you, you ponder yourself. Well, let's face it, who of us don't? When it comes to my time, what will death be for me? What will it be like? How will I cope? How will I pass through? Where will I be, if anywhere, after it? Everybody thinks that way, one time or another. If they don't, they should. Albert Camus said, Neither in the hearts of men nor in the manners of society will there be a lasting peace until we outlaw death. But we cannot outlaw it. As you often hear around the grave, in the midst of life we are in the midst of death. Woody Allen said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it through not dying. <laughs> it is the king of terrors and the terror of kings. Paul the Apostle called it man's last enemy. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. If Christ can do nothing about death, then whatever else he can do amounts to nothing. 
Can I repeat that? If Christ can do nothing about death, whatever else he can do amounts to nothing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable, miserable. But the great good news of the gospel message is not only that Jesus died for his sins and was buried, but that he rose again. And Jesus has done something about death. He has defeated this great enemy totally and permanently. This is what is encapsulated in this statement. I am the resurrection and the life. You've been going through John's gospel. You'll probably know by now there are seven great I am statements. Some say there might be eight. This is the fifth. I am the resurrection and the life. And you only have to listen to those words to realize no mere prophet or apostle could speak such words, but only the one who knew he was God. And I think there's an allusion here to the very name of God. I am the resurrection and the life. I want you to understand what Jesus was doing for Martha here. Talked about her confusion last week. We'll not repeat that. But what the Lord Jesus was doing was he was moving Martha from an abstract belief in resurrection that will happen sometime at the last day. He was moving her from this concept of resurrection at the last day to a personal and a present trust in Him who can raise the dead today. And what Jesus was saying, announcing He was the resurrection and the life, He was effectively, if we could paraphrase it, saying, I can give life any time, Martha. She she said, I I know he'll he'll rise again at the last day. I, I know that. Now, I want you to understand what we are offering here as we preach this message, what we want you to lay hold of and accept. It's not a new idea. And there might be ideas spoken of, of course. We, we think in concepts and ideas, but it's not essentially an idea. It's not a, a new principle uh, for a better lifestyle. What we offer you is a person and a relationship with this person that will bring resurrection and life to you. Martha believed in the abstract idea of resurrection and life way in the distant future, as perhaps you do as well, because most, most people believe in God. Uh, many of the, the new modern atheists would lead us to believe otherwise, but it's not the case. Most people in the world, maybe not so much the West, I think probably still the West, but certainly in a global capacity, most people believe in some kind of deity and some kind of afterlife. And you might be one of those, and you have an abstract idea of, of uh, future things, and even God, and, and Jesus. Maybe you accept Him as the Son of God and someone special. But Jesus, see this, desired for Martha to lead her to a knowledge of He Himself as resurrection and life, and for her to have, through a relationship with Him, 
the personal certainty of life everlasting. So I'm asking you this morning a very pointed question. Have you a personal relationship with Christ which has given you eternal life? Well, have you? Or is all you have, like Martha, some indefinite kind of assent in your mind to a belief of some kind? Oh, there's a heaven somewhere, sometime, and God's out there somewhere at a distance watching us. Have you some kind of conception that's a bit of a blur, really? And if you were asked to put it down on paper, you couldn't be too specific. It's very uncertain and evasive. And certainly, whatever your concept of afterlife and God is, it gives you no help here and now. It's not helping you through life. And it certainly doesn't give you any definite certainty for the future. Isn't that right? Look at verse 23. Jesus purposely expresses himself in general terms in order to draw Martha out. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. See, he wants to make her think. And he wants to make you think, by the way. D.A. Carson says this is a masterpiece in planned ambiguity. He was deliberately not being very clear because he wanted to tease out of her mind how she had this concept way in the future but wasn't counting on Jesus to do anything in the here and now. Now, of course, at one level, Jesus' words could be taken as no more than a doctrinally sound attempt at bringing solace to Martha, who had been bereaved of her brother. I mean, we could understand Jesus here in verse 23 as saying, well, Martha, the resurrection will take place, and, and your brother will be restored to bodily life. And Jesus believed that. He did believe in a resurrection, just like the Pharisees also believed, and the Sadducees didn't, of course. And I imagine, I have to say, that this probably was the standard procedure for pastoral care of the day. You know, you go up to somebody who's been bereaved and say, there, there, there's going to be a resurrection someday, and you'll meet your loved one. And this is how Martha understood the words of Jesus. So he was talking about that last day when the distance. For in verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, is it the case that Jesus could do no better than dead religion of his day in comforting people who were bereaved? Is that the case? Of course it's not. For in verse 25, he says, I am present tense. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, Jesus was offering immediate relief in the face of death. And he offers that to all who believe in him, all who receive him. He offers you immediate relief. I love that. Now, of course, you might say, ah, but hold on a minute. Mar Martha got a literal resurrection. She got her brother back. Well, that's the prospect of all believers. Yes, in the last day, that will happen. And we believe that when Jesus comes again, the last trump, that he will take his people who are living to be with him, but those who are dead first will rise again and be translated and go to be with Jesus in the air. We believe this. But Jesus was offering, I believe, much more. 
In effect, what he was doing for Martha was he was moving the doctrine of resurrection out of the future and into the present. You see, Martha was looking into the future, knowing that Lazarus would rise again and she would see him. But Jesus wanted to center her attention on the present, to know that wherever I am, Martha, there is resurrection and there is life. Wherever I am, there is resurrection power. Now listen to a couple of verses in the New Testament that bear this out. Romans 6, verse 4. Listen. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's resurrection language. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Philippians 3, verse 10. Paul said it was his great desire that I might know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformed to his death. You see, this this life is something that the believer knows now. Yes, they look forward to a resurrection when Jesus returns, but this life comes as a result of faith in Christ. Not only is Jesus the conqueror of death by and by in the resurrection on the last day, but he is this always. He is always the conqueror of death. And that is, I believe, the truth, exactly the truth which Martha failed to grasp. Her sights were set to the future. Jesus said, I am Martha. Now, this is probably totally irrelevant to some of you, but there is a slight resurgence among circles similar to yours here of a teaching which is very akin to soul sleep. But it's even worse because it's teaching now the destruction of the soul between death and the resurrection. There was a conference recently in the Park Avenue Hotel during the summer where some folk from America were brought over by people who are sympathetic to this teaching and they were teaching this very thing that effectively robbing the believer of the hope now to be with the Lord. And they've got all sorts of cultish ways of twisting Scripture and reinterpreting them to fit into their mold. But there are many more clear Scriptures than this one, of course, in that regard. But I have to say, this is a marvelous one in commentary to their false doctrine. He is the victor over every form of death. Paul said to Timothy, Christ has abolished death and brought immortality to light through the gospel. And this life is not found in a principle or in a prophetic calendar, but in a person. And what Jesus was saying when he said, I am the resurrection of life is the whole power to restore to impart and to maintain life resides in me. And can I tell you, that's what John's gospel is all about. 
It does talk about the future. It does talk about resurrection. It does talk about what happens when Jesus comes again and believers are given new bodies. But it also talks about having that life now. John 1 verse 4, the introduction. In him, Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. He's the life. Turn with me to John 5 to see this. A lot of people would relegate this life just to resurrection. But John 5 and verse 24, this is a passage, of course, on resurrection bodily, but also more than that. These two verses, verse 24 and 25 of John 5, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, present personal possession, has, and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. When? At that moment of faith. And death is a judgment. Now, that spiritual resurrection, we would call it regeneration, being born again, it comes by having faith and repentance. But here's the resurrection physical, verse 25, most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming. And now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So there's this seeming paradox. The day is coming, but now is when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God. So there is not only physical resurrection to look forward to, praise God for that, and that is the, the ultimate consummation of all God's plans. He wants us body, soul, and spirit to be together in, in the image of Christ. But there is life now for those who believe in Him. That very resurrection life that Jesus brought. I'm getting excited, but someone to be excited about. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about this. Even when we were dead in trespasses, we have been made alive. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. We have been made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When? When? Now! No, you're in heaven. You're going to tell me when I die and rot in the grave that I'm just going to cease to exist and I'll be separated from God and separated from my loved ones and even separated from the life that I now have. I have it now. Tell me God's going to take it away. We must affirm the literal resurrection in the future, no doubt about it. I don't think we talk about it enough, but we must not deny that the believer has such life spiritually now. John chapter 8 and 51, most assuredly, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, listen to this, he shall never see death. We know John 3, don't we? 15 and 16. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
the ordinary mortal life ebbs away, doesn't it? Life in this body, natural life, but the life that Jesus gives never ends. I believe it's in that sense that Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I know people alluded to the rapture. I believe in a rapture, but I don't believe necessarily that that's what the Lord is getting at in this verse. I believe he's getting at this fact that when you believe in Christ, even when you're alive, you've got that life and you'll not pass through death like other people do. Is there someone here who fears death? I know it's not the question you're asked most days in the week. I was actually asked it on Friday. I went into the barber's for a haircut and the girl with the scissors asked me, do you fear death? <laughs> After I wiped the sweat off my brow for a moment or two, I just checked I had still both ears. Um, my answer was, well, I don't want to die. I think it's a very unhealthy thing to want to die. I'm not looking forward to dying. The process, however it comes. But am I afraid of what will be thereafter? No. Now, I if you told me now you're going to die tomorrow, I might be a wee bit afraid. Because I believe God gives you the strength and the grace to face death when you're going to. And sometimes people who are dying face it better than the people around them because they have extra grace for dying from the Lord. But I want to ask you, do you fear death? Do you know, I know that there are people who put their head in the pillow at night, grown men, and they sob like babies weep into their pillow because they fear death. Charles, or John Wesley said, my people, die well. Strange thing to think of dying well. Why? Why does the Christian die well? Listen to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken flesh and blood, we human beings are made of flesh and blood. Jesus himself Likewise, shared in the same flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who had, past tense, had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those through fear of death who were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus at the cross, when he shed his precious blood, and died, tasted death for every man, woman, boy, or girl. I believe that. And having done so, has potentially released us from the fear of death. If, do you believe this? Have you all your lifetime been subject to a fear of death? There's no reason why. Because Jesus says, if you believe in me, listen, you will never, never die. 
you will simply take an instant transition from the old life into the new. You will pass through the natural process, but you need fear no evil. Jesus says, for I, your good shepherd, am with you to comfort you. Jamison, Fawcett, and Brown put it better than I could in their commentary. Listen, the believer's death shall be swallowed up in life, and his life shall never sink into death. As death comes by sin, it is his, that is Christ's, to dissolve it. And as life flows through his righteousness, it is his to communicate and eternally maintain it. And he quotes Romans 5, 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He goes on, the temporary separation of soul and body is here regarded as not even interrupting, much less impairing the new and everlasting life imparted by Jesus to his believing people. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be in the body of Christ, believers. And if the head is alive, how can any part of his body be dead? Burkett put it like this, O love stronger than death, the grave cannot separate Christ and his friends. I like that. Other friends accompany us to the brink of the grave, and then they leave us. Neither life nor death can separate me from the love of God in Christ. Do you believe that? I think it was Samuel Bengal who said, no one is ever read of as having died while the prince of life was present. You notice that? In the three resurrections that Jesus performed in the New Testament, he was absent for their deaths. But when he is there, he breaks up every funeral. For he is the present resurrection and life. He who believes in him shall never, never die. He's not a mere teacher in resurrection and life. He is the divine author of resurrection, whether spiritual or physical, and he is the root and the fountain of all life. Do you believe this? I'm asking you a question. Do you believe this? What the Lord was saying to Martha is, can you take this in, Martha? Can you receive this? Can you embrace it in your heart? And he's not challenging Martha to debate like we might debate on the door with the Jehovah's Witnesses. He's not interested in debate. He knows the truth already. And he's not wanting intellectual assent. He's not wanting her to tick a box or quote a creed. He wants her to put faith and we find in John 11, the word faith in various forms, belief, believe, is found at least eight times. This is what it's all about. Do you believe this? You see, you can, like Martha, have a general faith in biblical ideas and the future and concepts. But have you a specific, a personal faith in the one who is the resurrection and the life? Have you come to him? Have you 
surrendered yourself to him? Have you repented of your sins and confessed them and renounced them and and received his forgiveness? Because it is this saving faith in him that will make you become an instant partaker, an instant partaker of the life that shall never end. Do you have it? Or do you have a fear of death? Francis Louis XIV decreed that the word death would not be uttered in his presence. He still died. And in contrast, Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, commissioned his servant to stand in his presence every day and say these words, Philip, you will die. Well, you will die. Most likely, one out of one people die. You will die. How will you die? Do you know this one can deliver you right now from the fear of death? Some of you believers have a fear of death. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Do you know that? If you have a spirit of fear in you of any shape or form, it does not come from God because he doesn't give a spirit of fear. He gives a spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So you need to get rid of the spirit that the devil has given you, spirit of fear, And take the Spirit God has given you, the Holy Spirit. The one who is the resurrection and the life. I believe he wants to deliver folk here this morning. I said I wasn't looking forward to death. I'm not. But I have a couple of the hymns picked. (laughs) And they're all resurrection. And I think my favorite is the Easter hymn by Charles Wesley. One of the verses goes like this. Close your eyes and think of this. Lives again our glorious King. Where, O death, is now thy sting? Once he died our souls to save. Where thy victory, O grave, Soar we now, where Christ has led, following our exalted head. Made like Him, like Him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Hallelujah! Christ the Lord has risen today. Sons of men and angels say, And Scrabble Hall, if you can liberate yourself, say, Hallelujah. Let us pray. Now, as we've bowed our heads,
conscious that God is speaking. You know I don't like to rush. <laughs> but I hate rushing at the end of the time when God has been speaking. Because there's a brooding of the Holy Spirit on a gathering like this. And God is doing things. And when we get up and start blathering about nonsense, and even at times we can sing a hymn, and it can be the bird of the air that snatches away the seed. Because God doesn't want you to do anything right now. He just wants you to listen and respond. And we want to facilitate him. And you, in that two-way exchange of receiving what he offers you, deliverance from sin, deliverance, from the fear of death, deliverance from the judgment of hell that is before those who do not believe in Jesus. The hell that he took on the cross that you might never experience it. Who here this morning will receive Jesus as their Savior and receive life? You know you haven't been living Is there someone? Just where you are. You say, David, what do I do? Well, there's a sense in which it's all been done. All you need to do is receive it. But there is something to do, and that is repent and believe. That's what Jesus taught and the apostles preached. You need to change your mind about your sin. That's what repentance is. Change your attitude to sin, that it's not a good way to live, and it's going to effectively damn your soul forever. You need to change your mind to, to turn from it to Christ for salvation and believe in him. Not go out and do good works till you die, but believe in him to come in and live through you, to enable you to live the life that he wants for you. You've just got to take it by faith and say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin and I ask you to come in and be my saviour. I believe in you. Child of God, what about you? Are you in bondage to some fear, even the fear of death? It's a wonderful verse in Joel chapter 2, I think it's verse 36, that says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. We preach the gospel through that. You know, the gospel is the salvation, being born again, is only the start of the process of deliverance. That's when God gets a hold of you and starts to, to do a work on you. Maybe you need to be delivered here this morning from fear, even the fear of death. In the name of Jesus, kick it out. Kick it out. Say that it is nothing in you because you're Christ's. And it is nothing in you, that fear of death. And welcome the spirit of power. Love and a sound mind. Welcome the Holy Spirit to fill you. Take control of you. Father, we thank you. For your still small voice. And we thank you that Jesus still is the resurrection and the life. And we know that this message will be difficult for some here. But Lord, we know it's necessary. We either believe it or we don't. And we choose to believe and receive that life 
that shall never end. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you endured the death of all deaths, that we might have life evermore. We worship you, conqueror of death, of the grave and hell, the one who has the keys on your girdle of death and hell. We worship you, King of kings and Lord of lords, and may you be Lord of every life here this morning. For your glory we pray. Amen.